0: Welcome to Nonprofits are Messy, Not Enough Money, Too Many Cooks, and An Abundance of Passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, the dear Abby of nonprofits, gets it, and she is here to help. I've learned that nonprofit leaders really have something to sell. They're not selling... Soap, like the CEO of Procter & Gamble or the newest iPad. They're selling change, hope, equality, safety. I mean, I could go on. These are the things that really matter and the things that real people really care about. And then, if you're like me, you find yourself occasionally at a fundraiser or a gala where the executive director comes out on stage and begins to talk and begins to lose you. Even if they are smart enough to close all the open bars. And before you know it, it you feel like you're listening to, the. you remember the parents in the Peanuts cartoons where they, they sort of sound like, wah, 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 wah. Or also, you know, like the also when you go to watch the Oscars and you see the people come out from the Motion Picture Academy, that's when everybody gets up to go to the bathroom. So <clears throat> here you have an audience that presumably has... A great deal invested in what you have to say as a nonprofit leader, and so many people blow it. And so I really wanted to talk with somebody about how not to blow it. And I've landed upon award winning speechwriter Elaine Bennett. Elaine says that her favorite clients are people who are smart enough to know good writing when they read it, but too busy to do it themselves. She's worked with leading executives in a range of industries from financial and professional services to nonprofits and politics. Warren Buffett was so impressed with how Elaine captured his voice that he wrote, quote, you have a terrific ear, and you turn straight thinking into straight writing, end quote. Elaine is so passionate about great writing that she's launched a coaching business to help more people create it. She blogs daily on her website, Bennett Inc. That's dot com. Clever. Where you'll see her corporate mission is to make the world more interesting one sentence
1: at a time. Elaine Bennett, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Joan. I'm really pleased to be able to talk to your people. They do important work and they should be able to communicate that.
0: Indeed, they should be. So, Um, Let's start on the positive side. (laughs) (laughs) I want to know what you think makes a great speech for a nonprofit leader.
1: Okay. I think there are three elements of a great speech, and these apply to anybody, no matter what industry you're in. Authenticity, story, and emotion. So let's look at that. Authenticity means two different things. It means, first it means sounding like yourself. So when you sit down to write your speech, don't think about giving a speech. Think about talking to a colleague and make sure that that colleague is someone you actually like. Um, (laughs) The second point about authenticity is you don't want to try to sound like you know it all or you've got it all together. You've made mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes, or maybe your organization has made mistakes, so talk about them. Not to confess, but, but to demonstrate that you've overcome obstacles and solved problems. And that feeds to the second point, which is that a great speech needs to tell a story. So to be compelling, every story needs to take the audience from point A to point B. And point A is often you know where you're vulnerable. So you can't get up there and say, hey, we solved this problem spectacularly. You want to say, we tried X and we didn't work. It didn't work and we didn't understand why. but we looked at it and it was hard, but we kept at it. And finally, we got to Z and problem solved. That's a narrative everybody can relate to. And you have to put the problem solved in human terms. So that's the third point. A great speech needs emotion. It needs heart. Can I be honest with you? Uh, yeah,
0: you said you had to be
1: authentic. So go ahead. <laughs> okay. You know, nobody cares that your organization raised enough to buy a new building. I well, mean,
0: Well, actually, to, to push back a little, the people whose name is on the building care a lot
1: the people whose name is on the building care a lot, but the other donors, I mean, congratulations, they're all happy for you, but you've already solved the problem. So just saying, hey, we have a, a new building, that doesn't hook me in emotionally as a member of the audience.
0: So, you know, it's interesting you say that. Um, so I, when I first got my job at GLAAD, I went to visit an, uh, a community center and uh, the executive director took me on a tour. and. And this is about storytelling and about buildings, right? And every stop along the tour in the building was simply, she got to tell a story about what happened in that clinic, in that homeless shelter, right? Right, right. And, at, and at the end of the meeting, I left and I was driving back and I said, I want a building because then, then like I can tell all these stories. And then the next day I said, oh, the building is just a prop for storytelling.
1: Right. 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 Exactly. Exactly. And when she was t- get, telling you about the rooms, she didn't say and this is the Steve Jobs classroom, right? She said this is the room where we teach people how to do whatever,
0: right? At, more. It was actually more than that. It was. Yeah. This is uh, named after Pedro Zamora, the, you know, very well-known yeah. a- AIDS activist who appeared on the inaugural uh season of the real world. And by the way, that guy over there, that's Eric. And he's been coming here for three years, right? So your human face thing was about people's names.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to talk to people about the human experience of the, you know, how the money you raise turns into something that will affect actual human beings. So talk
0: more a little bit about how you... So you. So the other challenge, right, is if you've just done a big building, you've raised a lot of money, and you're talking about this build. How do you talk about the building in a way that's really helpful in a speech?
1: Well, I mean. Like I said, nobody cares about the building, but everybody cares about the, you know, the hundred extra people a day you're going to be able to serve in your building. So you talk about them, what happened to them before, you know, they had to wait in the parking lot or they weren't able to be seen at all, or they, you know, people were waiting for five hours to see us. So what happened to them before? What's their experience now? And you also want to talk about, in addition to what you do for the people you serve, how do your clients feel about your organization and how do you feel about your organization? When you open the door to that building every morning, what are you thinking about?
0: Right. Right? Yeah. People need to know that the speaker actually feels as passionate about the organization as the speaker wants you to feel, right?
1: How can you feel passionate about How can I feel passionate about something that you're just like, "Yeah, well, you know, we have this organization."
0: Well, some of it is about and when we can talk about that when we get to mistakes, because we're not t- quite there yet. But some of it is about uh, a, a presumption of what the audience actually knows and what it does not know. Right. And, right. Some of it is. Well, of course, you're going to assume that I'm in, in love with this organization. I'm the CEO, for goodness sake. Well, no, actually, that's not something you can assume.
1: Yeah, every time you get you get a chance to talk to anybody, whether you're talking to, you know, one donor over lunch or whether you're talking to a thousand people in the ballroom, you wanna you wanna get them as fired up about the organization as you are. And, you know, because your job is a job and so maybe you're not feeling so passionate about it every day, you know, when the when the roof leaks or the you know you're the assistant has a fight with somebody or you know <laughs> any of the stuff that happens in a in a job happens you got to remind yourself every every time you go to speak to somebody you got to pump yourself up a little bit and remind yourself about the people you serve and remind yourself about the about the reason you're doing this job and it's not just so that you can pay your mortgage
0: right and i think it's also about it's it's a people lose sight of how of the role of a staff leader as a champion, that your job is actually to ignite the enthusiasm of others. Now let's talk about storytelling for a second, Elaine. And um, so there are people who tell really good stories. Then there are people that tell stories that go on for days so that you actually miss the point altogether. So it's nice, it's easy enough for you to say storytelling is key to great speech writing, but sometimes stories take too long. How do you, so talk a little bit about storytelling. There are people who are really good storytellers. There are people who don't know when to shut up when they're telling a story so that you completely miss the point of the story. Are there key elements to storytelling?
1: Yeah, there there are. And, you know, I was reading Brian Grazier's book. You know, Brian Grazier's the Hollywood producer who did, you know, Fl- Splash and A Beautiful Mind and a bunch of other wonderful movies. And he's written, recently written a book called A Curious Mind. And he breaks down the elements of storytelling into three questions that he asks himself about every project that he gets involved in. First, what kind of a, what kind of story are we telling what's the tone of it or do we want people to be excited do we want people to feel empathy do we want people to get angry what's the tone then second what is the actual story so what is the what is the key thing that we've got to convey in in order to get the point across you know and because stories stories are important let me just backtrack a little bit to say stories are important because they are the basic units of how we make sense of the world totally. when when whenever you somebody says something to you you kind of in your mind put it into the context of a story and there's a really wonderful ted talk that a scientist gave and he talks about how when people hear a story they 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 measured people hearing a story in mri machines and people's brain waves make the same pattern as the storyteller's brain makes when he or she is telling the story wow and it's it's really it's incredible and i'll find the talk for you so you can put it in the show notes please so Everybody in your audience, when you're telling a story, everybody in your audience, their brainwaves sync up with yours. And the really amazing thing is that when they go out and tell the story, so the second generation of storytellers, they will have the same brainwaves and their listeners will have the same brainwaves. So there's something really primal and essential about storytelling and about how we take stories in. So that's why it's so important to, uh, to, to tell stories. So what kind of story are we telling? What is the story? What's the key to the story? And what feeling are we trying to convey? Mm-hmm. Those are the three things. And you know, I think when you talk about people going on at length, uh, let me let me give you three three common mistakes that I that I find. They're the three things that annoy me the most. Um, And
0: and, and my guess is, if they annoy you, they annoy you too. uh, um, They annoy the people that listen to the speeches as well, right?
1: Well, I think they do. You know, actually, I, I was thinking about a friend of mine. Um, used to work for a nonprofit. He was uh, pretty high up on the on the scale of the nonprofit, and and he told me once, oh, well, I'm going to their their gala next week, and I said, oh, that's great, have a good time. And he wrote me back, and he said, Elaine, galas are not to be enjoyed; they are to be endured. <laughs> <laughs> so you. You don't want, that's not what you want people to be thinking, especially if they work for you. But anyway. No, and,
0: and think about, think about it for a second, Elaine. I mean, the amount of time and energy that goes into a gala, the fact that you probably spend, if you're lucky, 30 you might spend as much as 30 or 35 cents on every dollar you generate. So it's labor intensive, it's time intensive. And to think that people go because their arm got twisted by their corporate, by their office or by their friend, like you want people to look forward to your event. And and you'd also, <laughs> this is a pet peeve of mine, you'd also like to them to be able to walk away and go home and tell people what the organization does whose gala you just attended.
1: Yep, yep. Um, that's essential. Why are they there otherwise to show off their tuxedo?
0: Exactly, exactly. So you know, one of the things. Um, uh, so as you as you bridge over here into talking about mistakes, um, I. Uh, this is a this is a pet peeve of mine uh, that this whole notion. Remember, I was talking about like people don't know you're passionate about the organization unless you actually exude that passion. Yep. and that sometimes the leader presumes you know things you don't know. There's a great book by Chip and Dan Heath called the uh, called Made to Stick. which Made to Stick. Right. Anybody yeah. who yeah. reads or who um has to give speeches should definitely read it. And that, and, and there is so much that's inside your head it's sort of like if you asked me to tell tell you about my oldest kid I will talk forever about my oldest kid because I won't know how to I won't know how to filter out what's important and what's not important and I think staff leaders have that same problem so I'm really interested in hearing what for you are what the most common mistakes are
1: okay well you know um Actually, I have a story about Made to Stick and and the curse of knowledge that they talk about. And if you haven't read Made to Stick, I mean, I know you have, but if your listeners haven't, it's a great book about marketing and about how to make your ideas memorable. And that's, you know, if you want people to keep giving you money, you'd better make sure that they remember you. So... A friend of mine works in in the realm of classical music, and she sent me a blog that one of her colleagues had written. This is a guy named Greg Sandow. And Greg Sandow wrote about a press release that the Boston Symphony Orchestra sent out to advertise a concert it was doing uh, of a Mozart symphony. And what the press release said is, quote, the Symphony number 39 is the first of a set of three his last symphonies, that Mozart composed in rapid succession during the summer of 1788. I mean, talk about the curse of knowledge. This is a classic example. I mean, written in 1788 might be something you want to include in your doctoral dissertation, but why do people don't spend money to listen to a doctoral dissertation? They spend money because they want to be entertained, and facts are not entertaining. Mm-hmm. So. You tell a story, and this is how Greg Sandow rewrote the press release, ideally. One long ago summer, in a burst of inspiration, Mozart wrote his three last symphonies. One is intense, another one is grand, and this is the endearing one. Warm, enriching music for a summer night. That's how you get people to care about what some dead white guy did over 300 years ago, and it's this, <laughs> right? Right. And it's totally. The same way you get people to care about what your organization is doing today. So you want to tell a story. You want to engage their emotions. Right, and you want
0: to avoid a laundry list of facts.
1: Absolutely, that is one of my common three common mistakes. Too many facts. Speakers love them. Audience ha- hate them. And, you know, this applies just as much when you're talking in the boardroom as it does when you're talking in the ballroom. People can find all the facts if they want them. And and chances are, you know, if they're at your gala, chances are they've already figured out you've got a good organization. So what they can't get from their smartphone is your perspective. They can't get that anywhere but from you. So use the opportunity you have to to share your passion with them.
0: So too many facts. That's one. You said, I think you, did you, you said there were a couple of others.
1: I did. There are three. So the, my biggest pet peeve is people who start a speech by saying thank you. Thank you, this. Thank you, that. You know, I, unless your name is going to be mentioned, I mean, be honest, unless you think the speaker is going to be mentioning your name in those thank yous, do you ever listen to them?
0: No, and in fact, I start a conversation with the person next to me during the thank yous, and it's hard for me to get out of the conversation and then re-engage with the um, speaker.
1: Exactly. That's because the speaker gave you permission not to listen. Right. And once you do that, you might never get their attention back. So never, ever, ever give the audience permission not to listen to you. Okay,
0: so who does the thank yous then? Because they, they, you got to know those, those are important.
1: No, 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 of course they're important. You work them in in a way that adds value, right? So say you want to thank your donor who bought a, you know, three tables worth of seats, right? So you say, well, Joe Smith made it possible for us to serve, you know, 900 people because of the the people that, that he brought to the gala tonight. So thank you, Joe, for being such a great supporter. And, you know, Susie did did this and, and mm. gave us that and... You know, so we put it in terms of 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 put it in human terms. That's really all you need to remember. It's not about the money it's not about the people whose egos you want to stroke. It's about the people you serve.
0: Right. I think the my uh, strategy was always to offload the thank yous to my whoever introduced me or to the board chairs or the event chairs so that I did not have to do that and I could just dive right in.
1: So they get to give the audience permission not to listen to them. Yes. <laughs> That's one way you could do it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so really? your, your no, no, idea no. Okay, I so to, Elaine, a, you you sent me a speech that you gave at a uh, glad gala and you did the thank yous in a really interesting way. So you put that speech in the show notes. Um because you didn't just sort of run down a laundry list, you kind of pointed to people at the table and said something something that added value to just mentioning their name. So uh, you know, you've got a handle on this, Joan. Okay, so
0: thank yous, too many facts. What's your third one?
1: Using complex language. So you gotta understand the difference between something that you hear and something that you read. When you read something and it's complex, you can always turn the page back, you can reread the paragraph several times, you can think about it. When you're hearing something in a speech, you've got to understand that speaker the first time you hear those words. So some people worry about sounding too simplistic, and they want to impress their listeners with how smart you are. But you know, we know you're smart because you wouldn't be in your job if you weren't smart. (laughs) So just tell your story. And there's a great speech online that I found that was given by the dean of the Harvard Education school, or something, and it was a commencement speech and it revolved around really, really simple words. Um, I'll give that link to you for the show notes, too. Perfect, perfect.
0: Um, we are talking to award winning speech writer Elaine Bennett, who works with leading executives in a range of industries from financial and professional services to nonprofits and politics. Elaine is so passionate about great writing. She's launched a coaching business to help more people create it. She blogs daily on her website, which is at Bennett Inc. That's two N's, two T's, and K and I N K dot com, Bennett uh, where she uh, has written some excellent blogs. And you'll also see samples of her speeches which I have been really, really taken with uh, because they actually are very memorable and sticky, and she does all the things that you, that she herself identifies as important in great speeches. I want to move on to our last topic in the last couple of minutes we have. So you can write a great speech. You can do all of these things that you have talked about. Um, But I want to really... Uh, you know, I, I think that sometimes people deliver them poorly and I want to know, so how do you get over, uh, how do you get over it? So you get people who write a speech and then they read it and it doesn't come to life. Yep. Some people use bullet points and then they actually talk too long. So how do you deliver a great, so you've written a great speech. How do you deliver it?
1: Well, you've got to practice it. I mean, there's no two ways about it. And you look at all the really good speakers out there in the world, and they all have their different ways of, of practicing. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell says that he memorizes his speeches. But, you know, he gets paid a lot of money to give a speech, so uh, he should do that. Uh, <laughs> 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 but, no, it's, he views it as a performance, and he wants to but he also wants to sound authentic and so he he works on it um the best client i ever had so far <clears throat> excuse me. the best client i ever had told me that he wanted his speeches finished two weeks before he gave them two weeks smart Very smart. Now, you can't always do that if you're somebody who has to react to breaking news. But if you can, and I think most nonprofit people can, get the speech ahead of time and practice it. Now, my client, he was a busy guy. He was at least as busy as the nonprofit executive directors. I mean, he was the CEO of a major company, but he prioritized this because he recognized that his speechifying was a great way to build eminence for his brand or not. And so he saw the business case in taking the time to make himself a great speech writer, a great speech giver. And so he succeeded.
0: I remember uh, <clears throat> I was doing a rally for marriage equality in New Jersey, and I wrote a rally speech, which is different from a gala speech. Absolutely. and. I was on the, you know, on the speaking list with a number of other people. And I sat down after my speech, which had done what it was intended to do was, which was to fire up the masses. And one of my colleagues who had spoken earlier to let and was less well received said, wow, that was a, that was a great speech. And he said something like did you did you actually write that speech <laughs> and i was like yes i said did you didn't write your speech he said and he said to me i wrote it was kind of a back of the envelope thing on the train out here from you know from manhattan and i my th- th- you know i always say this thank god thought balloons are not visible to the naked eye oh. right you oh. know cuz my vi- my thought balloon was well if you write a speech on the back of an envelope that's going to sound like a speech you wrote on the back of an envelope and by the way a rally speech which is all about firing up the masses has to be practiced because it has cadences to it and that's that's about the performance element of it right
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the story is that Lincoln wrote the Gettysburg Address on the back of an envelope, but I but I believe he wrote many drafts. Probably
0: true. Probably true.
1: So we are sadly
0: just about out of time, but I am a firm believer in these podcasts because I try to identify guests who can offer you really practical, actionable takeaways, whether you are the staff leader, whether you're a development director who's giving a major donor pitch, whether you are the board chair who is representing people. And I also think, by the way, pitches to foundations and those kinds of things are just mini speeches, basically. Don't you think, Elaine?
1: Everything is a mini speech. Even your elevators pitch is a mini speech.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I wish we had more time and maybe we will have you back. But in the meantime, Anybody who is listening to this podcast would be foolish not to subscribe to Elaine's blog at bennettink.com, two N's, two T's, and like I-N-K dot com. Like from a pen. Yeah, it's really very clever, I thought. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I also, um, thanks to Elaine, uh, she has um, I- encouraged us to, uh, that there's a... A free annotated list of five steps for a more focused and effective communication. And you can go over to her website at BennettInc.com forward slash Joan. That would be me. Or at JoanGarry.com forward slash Elaine. We'll put that link also in the show notes. Don't hesitate to grab it. Take a look at it. I bet it, it captures some of what we've talked about and a lot, lot more. Um, Elaine, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Absolutely.
0: This is, uh, you know, but this podcast is a mission for me to try to reach more people to make what I hope will be your job a little bit more joyful and a little bit more effective. And so don't hesitate to tell your friends about the podcast to rate, review it. Don't hesitate to join my tribe of subscribers at www.JoanGarryWithTwoRs.com. And as always, I, I think I speak for Elaine and all my other guests in saying thank you for the work that you do. It is important and inspiring, and we will see you next time. Nonprofits are Messy is a service of Joan Gary Consulting. Widely known as the Nonprofit Dear Abby, Joan's Leadership Blog reaches over 40,000 unique visitors monthly from over 150 countries. Subscribe at www.joangary.com.